the chief officer of the Seine, also referred to on ship as the second captain, was laying in his bunk, but he had not fallen asleep yet in spite of the hour. Suddenly, the calm of the night on the ship was broken by a loud blast of the ship's whistle, and the chief officer jumped up and rushed to the deck to find out what had happened. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the deadly sharks of La Seine? Here we are. Enjoy! The 1,140-ton La Seine of the Massageres Maritimes line had started out in 1874 as the Etoile du Chile. She had originally served as a ship that was part of their Mediterranean service, but then had been moved to the Singapore-Batavia route. In 1888, she had a major refit and rebuild, which had ended with her name being changed to the La Seine. She continued on the Singapore-Batavia route after being remodeled, and she was well known in both parts. She had a reputation for being a reliable and punctual ship, both in the mail service and in the passenger service and she was favored by passengers who wanted to ensure they would make their connection to vessels outbound to Europe. The La Seine was two days out from Batavia the morning of the 14th of November 1909. It was a dark, moonless night, and there was a thick haze, but the sea was a glassy calm, which gave the La Seine the confidence to travel at high speed. They were in familiar waters. The Riau Strait through which almost all vessels passed in order to get from Singapore to Batavia. In the other direction, they could see the shape of another ship, but it seemed as though they would be passing by one another. They rang the ship's bell to let them know where they were. The Onda, a British India steamer, had left Singapore at midnight headed to Java in ballast. She was a large cargo ship at 3,409 tons. On board of the Onda, they could hear a bell ringing, but they could not see where it was coming from. While those on the La Seine thought that the two ships were going to pass closely, they were shocked when instead the large bow of the Onda plowed into the side of their ship. The Onda was a much larger vessel and traveling high in the water without a cargo. The impact to the bow was just below the main deck, and it caused a gaping hole that extended an estimated 20 feet in length. Her plates crumpled and buckled, but thanks to her light load and her watertight bulwarks, the Onda, though damaged, was in no immediate danger of sinking. The impact brought the Onda to a stop, and on realizing that she had struck another vessel, the ship backed out and immediately stopped her engines entirely so that she could launch boats and render aid. The much smaller and more heavily laden La Seine fared far worse in the collision. Before the Onda had even been able to stop, she had already nearly split the ship down the middle in two. Due to the early hour, most of the people on board the La Seine were in the cabins asleep when the collision occurred. The crew on deck quickly sounded the ship's whistle in the hopes that it would wake up those who were below and bring them to deck. There was hardly any time for anyone to do anything, though, 
Even as whistle was sounded, the ship was sinking beneath their feet. They didn't stand a chance of launching the ship's boats. The sinking of the La Seine would later be described as orderly and without panic, but it is entirely likely that most of the people on the ship never even realized what had happened. The newspaper accounts estimated that it took only two or three minutes for the La Seine to sink. There was no time for panic. As the ship sank, scalding steam blew from her boiler, which, in addition to the impact between two ships and the water rushing into the hold, lessened those who were able to escape from the ship even further. Captain Conalho and the wheelmen were both in the wheelhouse and had no chance to escape. They both went down with the ship. For the people on the deck when the ship sank, they found they had new worries. The suction from the ship sinking as fast as she did caused some of the people who had been on the deck to be dragged down as well. Not only that, but as many of the locals could have told them, the waters of the Riau Strait were not something that anyone should be willing to enter. They were infested with sharks that had been known to attack people before. The La Seine seemingly sank in the middle of a school of sharks. Those who were trying to swim to shore, or towards the Onda, were soon dragged below by underwater attacks. The water around where the La Seine went down quickly became chaotic. Second Captain Grundenij found a piece of wood that he was able to cling to until he could be rescued by the Onda's boats, as did a passenger by the name of Dreyfus. Both of the men had been thrown violently into the water by the sinking ship. A man named Maxwell was asleep when the collision happened, but had gone to investigate what had happened when he had been awakened by the impact. By the time he reached the deck, the bow of the ship was already underwater. Even though he was standing on the deck of the ship, he was up to his knees in water. He was a strong swimmer, but once he was in the water, he found himself in danger of being dragged down by people who did not know how to swim, clinging to him. Maxwell barely managed to save himself by dragging himself onto a piece of wreckage, right before a shark appeared right where his leg had just been. Another strong swimmer, First Officer Mage, spent over an hour in the shark-infested waters as people around him screamed and cried, but he was not able to see them in the darkness. He was finally picked up by one of the boats of the Onda. Six British sailors, who had been paid off and were traveling in second class on the La Seine as passengers, also found themselves in the water. One of them had not been able to sleep and had been on deck when the collision had taken place. He immediately shouted for his companions to come on deck as well. The ship was sinking. All six of them escaped from the ship, but they were separated, and only four were pulled from the water by the Onda's boats. In all of the chaos, darkness, and with a large number of people who were in the water, for those waiting to be picked up by a boat, it was, in some cases, a long wait. The Onda threw out lights and life buoys to try to aid the people who were in the water, but the current was strong, and the people who were in the water were not able to swim towards them. In some cases, survivors spent over an hour in the water hoping that the sharks would not come for them. For the people from the Onda who were part of the rescue effort, it was an exhausting and dangerous labor to save as many people as they could. In multiple cases, the people who they were pulling from the water were injured and needed immediate care. Falling gear as the Lassen had sank, 
barnacles on the side of the sinking ship, which had scraped people as they tried to jump away from the Lysen before being sucked down with her, and shark attacks all took their toll. People who had done more than was expected in the circumstances were later named by the papers. Mr. Adam, one of the men from the Onda, jumped into the water even though he knew it was dangerous to save a man who he saw sink below and pull him into the boat. One of the four British sailors who had been traveling in second class, a man named Glenn Dinning, was confident in his ability to swim and shouted to the boat that approached to save him that they should save others first. Once he was on board the boat, rather than go on board the Onda to safety, he joined in the rescue efforts and was credited with pulling more people from the ocean. The third engineer of the Onda was witnessed beating a shark away from a man with a boat hook so that he could be saved. In total, the Onda was able to save 61 of the people who had been on board of the Lysenne. The estimate of those lost varied between 93 and 101. Of the survivors, 20 were passengers, and the remaining 41 were all members of the crew. On this occasion, the disparity in survival rate can likely be attributed to who had reason to be awake and on deck at 4 in the morning. The people who were rescued from the water credited the people on the Onda with the greatest care, and they were quickly fed and clothed while the Onda changed her course to return to Singapore. Once the news was reported, the cost of the accident could be felt. The dock was filled with anxious families and friends, many of whom were disappointed. A merchant who had a large amount of cargo on the Lassen was reported to be wandering the dock near madness. Those out of survivors who did not require hospitalization for their wounds were allowed to recover from the experience in the Adelphi Hotel. The Onda was immediately placed in dry dock for extensive repairs, and some of the people she had rescued from the Lassen admitted that they had not been certain that she would even make it back. They had feared that her damage was so bad that she too would sink beneath their feet. Once she was placed in Victoria Dock, crowds flocked to see her, amazed at the damage that the ship had sustained. The newspapers were kind to Captain Dag of the Onda, as well as the rest of his crew. There was no blame assigned to them by the court of public opinion for what was viewed as an unfortunate accident rather than a matter of negligence. Indeed, for the most part, the papers praised them as heroes who had saved as many lives as possible under difficult circumstances. Captain Dag was described as being deeply saddened and impacted by the loss of life that had occurred as a result of his ship, however, no matter how much the public might absolve him. By its nature, as a ship that was considered reliable and punctual, some of the people who had been on board of the Lysenne and gone down with her were considered notable. The lost passengers included Baron and Baroness Debenitsky of Australia, who were touring Asia. There were also two actors from Paris, one of whom survived, but the other did not. The person who had went down the Lysenne, who caught the most attention, though, was a man named Mr. Habib. When speaking of why the Lysenne had fallen victim to such an accident, of a sort that did not happen often in the Riau Strait, 
It was soon a matter of some speculation, and even more superstition. It was pointed out that the captain was a new one to the ship. He had only made a few trips with her, while her former captain had been with her for years. Not only that, but she had slipped her anchor and lost it only a short time before the accident, surely a sign of bad luck for the ship as a whole. Not only that, but Mr. Habib was a Spanish diamond merchant and a known owner of the famous Hope Diamond. The newspapers were going to point out that the sinister reputation of the Hope Diamond, as well as the tragic ends for people who had owned it in the past. For one salvage diver, however, this was simply an opportunity to get his hands on the valuable stone, and he began to prepare to dive to the wreck of the Lassen. The diver might have been assessing the opportunity of the wreck of the Lassen, but the local shipping companies and government were instead assessing the danger that the wreck brought. It was found that, at low tide, the foremast of the Lassen stuck four feet above the water, and the aftmast was about ten feet above the water both posing a very real danger to ships, especially if they were traveling at night. There was no chance of warning the first few ships that passed by the wreck of the danger, and when one of the port's regular boats failed to make a timely appearance, the worst was feared. Happily, the boat arrived the next morning, simply behind schedule, but some actions were taken quickly to lessen the concern. A red lantern was hung on each of the masts of the Lassen, and the nearby lighthouse keeper was instructed to light them at 6 o'clock every night until a demolition of the masts could be arranged. A notice was also printed in the papers instructing all mariners to use extreme caution when traveling in the area of the wreck. The final footnote on the story of the Lassen would occur on April 4, 1910. It was announced that the diver who was diving the wreck of the Lassen had retrieved almost all of the diamonds that had once belonged to Mr. Habib, but unfortunately for him, the Hope Diamond was not among them. It was discovered that the famous diamond had been sold some time before his trip by Mr. Habib to a man in Paris for 16,000 pounds sterling. The Lassen could be scratched off of the list of the victims of the Hope Diamond. For more information, please see the Singapore Free Press and Mercantile Advertiser from the 18th of November, 1909, or see our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.